0: I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Rebecca Mick Williams, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, Rebecca is a licensed architect and an attorney with deep experience in both fields. Her areas of expertise includes small business risk management, insurance, technology, and contracts. She is a partner in policyholder pros, LLC, nope, LLP, uh, representing insurance policyholders in negotiating homeowner claims in litigation against their insurance companies. As a New Hampshire legislature, legislator, Uh, Rebecca serves on the House Science Technology and Energy Committee in 2019. She drafted and passed legislation to update the state building and energy code from following the 2009 to to the 2015 International Building Code. So you have your hands in everything. And on top of that, three kids living on their family farm in Concord, New Hampshire. And from what I've gathered, doing a little research, it's a real working farm. <laughs> so so you're, you're an architect, you're an attorney, uh, you're a mom, you're a legislator, you're a uh, farmer, and probably lots of other things from, from what I'm gathering here. I'm
1: uh, living the dream.
0: <laughs> it is awesome. And you're an active member over at the Entree Architect community, our private Facebook group for small farm architects. And you're an active member there and contributing all the time. So I appreciate you for doing that. Um, I would like, we started, we, we connected because of a post over at the entree architect community, Facebook group, um, about somebody was, had an issue, had a, had a, an issue with a client and project sort of went South and they didn't really know what to do. And so they went to the group, which is exactly what that group is for. It's a private group. It's only architects. So we can have whatever conversations we want there. Uh, that was one of those days where that architect needed some help and some guidance about, what do I do here? I have some legal issues. I have some contractual issues. I have some project issues. Um, and, uh, and Rebecca jumped in and shared some thoughts and some advice. Uh, and then we connected afterward and said, hey, we should do a podcast about this. And so I would love to have that conversation about what do you do when your project goes south. Uh, but before we do that, I want to learn more about you. I want you to dive a little bit deeper Uh, into your origin story how and why did you uh, become an architect and then an attorney share your origin story
1: thank you so much mark um gosh it has been a bit of a long and bumpy road to get where i am right now um i think when i was in high school i was drawn to taking some of the technical courses i enjoyed tech ed i enjoyed woodworking um and I enjoyed a uh, CAD drafting class we were using autocad release 12 at the time so i'm dating myself, but you know that's what we were learning on. Um, and so I, I had a really good uh, technology education teacher Mr Farrell this was in trumbull high school trumbull Connecticut and he encouraged me to look into something to do with architecture or engineering uh, for college and. So I did uh, research different schools. Um, You know, this is one of those pivotal moments, right? When you decide where you're gonna go to college. I made the decision to go to Roger Williams University early acceptance. It was the only school that I had applied to. I got in, I got an honor scholarship. So I was getting a free ride and I said, okay, done, one and done. (laughs) And looking back on that, you know, I probably should have applied to a whole bunch of schools and done the whole song and dance, but um, I've learned a lot about my personality and uh, on the DISC profile, I'm a D Um, (laughs) 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 and I'm an ENTP, close to ENTJ when we talk about, insight as to what motivates me so i'm pretty much really extroverted a go-getter an action person and once the items checked off my list i'm done move on yeah. uh, so i picked a college got in got a ride done um, and that was pr- rather pivotal because roger williams is a small liberal arts college in rhode island um, rather secluded suburban campus um, an interesting place to learn the subjective art of architecture, but not particularly um, at the time. The program has changed, but at the time it wasn't particularly focused on urban planning issues, um, larger picture things. Uh, so I'm glad I went to Roger Williams. It was a good program. Uh, at the time I did the five year BARC, and that's all I wanted to do was be an architect. I graduated, I enrolled in IDP. Um, This is another funny story. And I don't know how much time we have for funny stories, but- Uh, We love funny stories. When I enrolled in IDP, I did my homework and and I found out that Texas at the time uh, allowed you to start taking the tests with only having six months of IDP under your belt. And I was like, oh, well, then I'll just take the Texas test because I don't want to wait for three years to have to take the Massachusetts test, which is where I was living at the time. Um, So I ended up doing all my prometric exams in Massachusetts under Texas, getting licensed in Texas, and then getting reciprocity to Massachusetts right around the time I actually finished up my hours in mass. Um, It was nine exams at the time that's changed too, so I'm dating myself, but really the moral of the story is if you do your research, and it turns out I'm pretty good at doing my research, you can figure out a way to get something done that may be different than how everyone else around you is doing it. And maybe it's a better way. And I know we have an awful lot of architects who are creative thinkers who also think outside the box and do the same sort of, let me do my research. I bet you I can come up with a better answer. Uh, So I I call that my architect brain um, for trying to think outside the box. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, I had gotten licensed, and I was working for a large AE firm in Cambridge, Mass, uh, doing high schools, and I really enjoyed doing schools because it's a big project type, I like working with a large team, I like collaborating, um, it was really fun to have engineering in house, so you could just walk over and sit with the structural engineer and resolve an issue immediately, all those things I think are really beneficial. Um, And our project manager ended up having a heart attack. Hmm. He didn't pass away, but he was out for a really long period of time. And so we divvied up all of the responsibilities on this project amongst the other members of the architecture team. And I got the contracts with the client. So I was managing, um, negotiating and signing a contract with uh, the city of Quincy, Mass for a new public high school. And oh my goodness, I loved it. (laughs) i was like wow how have i never had an opportunity to read and negotiate a contract before this is cool i like this can i do some more of this so i ended up meeting with the vice president at the firm and saying hey i'm interested in learning more about contracts and so you know we had some good conversations but he actually encouraged me and said if this is something you really want to do maybe you might want to consider going to law school So I took the LSAT and I applied to go to law school at night. Once again, I only applied to one school, um, Suffolk Law Boston night program. Uh, And this was just when the recession was starting to happen, 2007, 2008, I began law school at night at Suffolk while I was still working for the AE firm. Um, And then as the recession got more and more severe, um, we ended up cutting everybody's hours to pretty much halftime. Which is fine. I was going to law school at night and I had plenty of reading and writing to do outside of work. So I was busy. Um, And then finally, I ended up getting laid off, which honestly, for those of you who've been there, sometimes it's a blessing in disguise because that allowed me to turn the page. Right. I could move on with my life because of the layoff that was the opportunity to really focus on some of the things that I enjoyed, which included consulting. Um, So pretty much I jumped from being a director of BIM at a large firm and working on high schools as an architect to helping a whole bunch of firms all over Boston do Revit training, support and implementation, content creation um, and small training classes for their staffs. This is like 2010 ish. Um, So it was a great time to be doing all of that stuff and also building my network, getting to know everybody in the game in the Boston area, um, and of course, going to law school at night. Um, So that all worked out really well. And that's what my first introduction was to consulting, where you can kind of set your own hours, set your own terms, uh, but still be able to make a difference. And gosh, I really enjoyed that a lot. But I was focused on the goal finish up law schools to go work in a law firm. And I did. Um, In 2012, I took my first job at a large Boston law firm that does construction defect and insurance claims. Some of you have probably heard of it. I'm not going to drop the name here, but it's well known. And this is a very large insurance defense firm that if you have insurance in the greater Boston area, and there is a claim against your insurance, the insurance company can decide who defends the designer, and often they choose this firm. So I got to once again work with a lot of architecture firms in Boston, but on the insurance defense side. And that's where I learned that, man, construction law is really complex, really interesting, and hardly ever goes to trial because there are just too many nuances and you cannot really educate a jury about what's going on. So just expect if and when you get a claim in your life as a design professional it will end up being mediated or arbitrated. It's not going to go in front of a jury. So you're not going to have to educate a jury on how things work in the construction arena because it's just too complex. Um, but that was... a uh, uh, An interesting one year of my life working for this large firm, I have to say large firm culture at a law firm is kind of toxic. Um, Everybody is trying to work crazy hours to get in their billable hours requirement. We had a 2100 hour billable hour requirement, which honestly means you're working evenings and weekends to try to hit that because not everything you do is billable. The alternative of course is you're not honest on your timesheets. I'm not one of those people, but there are lawyers who just you know, do the biweekly lie to make it work. And it's a culture. Um, So I decided that I really didn't want to stay in a law firm. I wanted to go out on my own because I was already an architect and now I'm a lawyer and let's combine the two and start doing my own consulting as an architect attorney to help um, architects and also building owners. And to some extent, developers and folks who assist like uh, CMs, and owner's project managers. So that has really become kind of my thing to do since 2013. I like working in the industry and I like working with people, but I also get a little bored if I'm just doing one thing. So I still do architecture on the side. Um, at the moment, I'm wrapping up a simple residential addition, probably about 1500 square feet um, garage with in-law apartment. and. You know, it kind of keeps me connected and part of my roots I am still very engaged and involved with obviously having to do continuing ed each year for architecture. um, And and getting to talk to clients and kind of understand their motivation right building owner clients, as opposed to architect clients. I I think I generally get their motivation too, but I try real hard to listen. Um, So that brings us to where we are today. Um, You mentioned that I'm pretty well-rounded and I have a lot going on in my life as architect, attorney, legislator, family farmer. I joined an organization called the Jefferson Society, right? Because that's basically what Thomas Jefferson was. Um, It's a bunch of architect attorneys. And it was a really good networking opportunity Uh, When we went to our swearing in ceremony at the United States Supreme Court, I got to meet Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which was a life altering moment. She also made some major decisions um, that I think kind of put her on her path to where she ended up on the Supreme Court and and it was it was a humbling experience to see someone in her 80s still working and being passionate about making a difference. So I hope to be doing the same thing when I'm 80. Um, but the Jefferson Society allowed me to meet a whole bunch of interesting folks who have the same kind of dual architect attorney background. And so I met up with a woman who became my current business partner. Her name is Julia Donahoe. She is an architect attorney general contractor and <laughs> She's based out of out of California, um, so she's got sort of the construction and estimating side that I never really focused on, and I have the legislator policy side that she hasn't really focused on so between the two of us we actually bring a lot to the table. Um, And so, for the last three years or so, we've been working together as consultants. This is not our only thing that we do, but we have been helping homeowners whose houses burned down in California due to wildfires. And what we've discovered is that there is this systemic issue of insurance companies across California, all the big names, intentionally underinsuring homeowners and then not paying policy limits after a total loss. And so we've been able to put on our capes and fight for these homeowners to get the payout they need to rebuild their homes and get their lives back again. And that really is fulfilling for me to be able to make a difference. Um, I'd like to be able to do that on a larger scale. So we're we're looking to ramp up the company and turn it into a tech firm. We could have a whole separate discussion about that. Specifically.
0: We can do that.
1: Um, but you know, going to tech from architecture is interesting. Um, players are all a lot younger than me (laughs) and generally male (laughs) but you know when you're an architect you can work with anyone um so uh that that has been a really fulfilling part of my life being able to really make a difference for people who've lost their homes and uh one of the things that we do as part of this group policyholder pros llp is we provide contract review and consultation for homeowners and for architects, and in some instances, general contractors too, uh, just to review the terms of the contract and do a legal review and then recommend what should be changed. And I, I find that a lot of our customers are repeat clients because they're serial builders and they're constantly doing construction and they get different contracts with different owners. So we're able to do the review and that's very fulfilling too, because I feel like I'm helping people avoid the topic we're talking about today, which is what do you do when your project's going south? So I'll, I'll kick this back to you, Mark, but that's kind of my origin story and why I am and here I am.
0: Well, what a fascinating story. Thank you for sharing all that. And thank you for all of the service you're providing to so many different people in so many different areas, um, really making an impact in the world. Um, policyholder pros, can you just, so, so um, is that where, um, well, actually, let me rephrase that question if architects have their own contract that they're putting together um, that they wanna use as an owner architect agreement, um, is that something that you do as well? Do you work with architects to help prepare that document? Okay.
1: Yeah, Um, we do custom contracts and we also help with the post-mortem. If we have a client who's dealing with a nasty situation and then we get through it, it's over, thank goodness let's go back and revisit the contract and see where we can strengthen some of the parts that were perhaps under fire during that situation. Let's
0: make sure that never happens again. You got it. Very interesting. So policyholderpros.com is where architects can go to connect with you for that kind of work, right? Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, Because I'm sure there's lots of architects right now writing that down. (laughs) I want to make sure we're sending them in the right place. So let's, let's have that conversation about what do you do? when you have a project that doesn't go the way that you hoped, right? We all start our architecture projects very enthusiastic, very optimistic. Um, things are all going to go great. You know, the, the, the client loves you. You love the client. They, they love what you do. Um, and so you, you want to get started. And so I want to just – I'm going to throw it right back to you. Um, what do we do at that moment, right? So – or maybe even prior to that moment um, in order to make sure that later on, if things don't go as planned that we don't end up in a really bad position.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about the two key elements that you always want to have whenever you're working on a project. The first is a contract. I know sometimes that's as simple as an email outlining the project description and the fee and maybe the schedule. You know but that's still technically a contract and when things go bad you're going to turn back to hopefully a more formal contract than an email but you're going to turn back to the project expectations which are outlined in the contract and figure out am i really failing this client or Is the client having unrealistic expectations? Or is there something that we haven't covered in the contract that's become a real sticking point between us? I mentioned schedule, maybe something that you may not have covered as well as previously or in other projects or just comparatively to other people. Sometimes schedule becomes a real sticking point in the contract because let's be honest, when you first get a project and you're all hopeful that you'll be able to do the design and construction documents in six months, sounds reasonable at the time, especially if it's a smaller project, you're not that busy. Sure, okay, six months sounds good. So you may have said six months in your contract. But then obviously, the owner's not responsive. And it takes a long time to get their comments. And then things are dragging on. And we're at eight months, and then they're angry because it hasn't been six months. So yeah, you may have said six months in the contract. But did you put something in there about the client has to also Participate and be involved, and if they're not, then it's not on me, you know. So, so I'm just kind of giving an example of something that you may not have outlined in the initial contract, but contract is super important. And the that's that, insurance. That, and large. that
0: just for for the contract part before we jump into insurance, um, that's one of the reasons why that email agreement is not such a good idea, right? That we really should have prepared contracts that are written and and have. All the different.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean, most firms that are just starting out will begin with something like an AIA short form contract just at least to have the bare bones and and I do recommend AIA contracts because they're tried and proven in over 50 years of court cases so we have a good sense of how a court would look at the contracts if it ever ended up at a court and that's how the adjudicator or mediator will look at it because it's history and precedent but I really don't want to just say you have to have a contract that's a formal contract because let's be honest some of These projects are so small, you may have just written something on the back of an envelope and gotten the other party to sign it. Um, but, But as you progress and grow as a professional, it is so important to have a standard form contract that you use for your projects. So you know and can add to it as you learn, there are certain things that you do and don't want to do with your clients. You know, one of the big sticking points is ownership of documents, right? And the AIA form kind of leaves it, you can check the box for multiple sections. Do you want to own it? Do you want the client to own it? Do you want to make sure they don't get to own it until they've paid you every dollar due under the contract you have a couple different ways to choose how that's handled um and and so customizing the contract for the way that you do work is really important and we do recommend you have a standard contract absolutely um but i'm just kind of giving an example that sometimes you're getting sued or sometimes you're getting nasty emails and angry voicemails from a client and you realize, oh, crud, all I had was an email, right? right. You can still exactly. use that email. Okay, don't get me wrong, but that's not yeah. the best practice.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've had, the reason I bring that up is because I've had that happen. I've had had that call from a, from an attorney representing a, a client. Um, and, and because I did have a written document, a written agreement, um, it very quickly went away. Because all I did is I pulled out the, the sections in the agreement and sent that to the attorney and said, look, this is this is what was agreed upon. And and, you know, once they realized that they didn't have much of a case, they went they went after somebody else was what happened in my case, uh, yeah. because it wasn't really our place. That was that was the issue. It was somebody else. But we were just being pulled into that other that other mess. Um, Absolutely. And, so so okay. I don't want to get into contracts. So I really want to talk about Well, I, as much as I, I need can to. talk
1: more about contracts, but I just want to kind of give you yes. a background that, yep. like, there are certain yep. things that are helpful in a contract. One of those, um, just to throw it out there, is a limitation of liability clause. You mentioned that in your situation, the the owner decided to sue other parties. Right. Um, typically, in a construction claim, the owner sues everyone. Right. You know, it's a leaky roof they're gonna sue everybody who touched the project. It's gonna be the general contractor, the roofing sub, probably the framer, uh, maybe the material supplier, the architect, the engineer, everybody gets sued, okay? So if you have a limitation of liability clause in your contract that says, um, the limitation of liability shall be limited to the total dollar value paid for the work, which is awesome, A plus, do that. But if you can't get that, at least limit it to your insurance uh, coverage, which it, for most firms is somewhere between 1 and 2 million. You know, Some very small firms, it's 500,000. But at least you're limiting it there. So if this turns out to be a doozy of a claim and the client is blanket suing everybody, at the negotiation table, the lawyer who your insurance company has hired to represent you on the insurance claim will be able to point to the limitation of liability provision and say, well, the architect's only responsible for max 25,000 because that's what they got paid on this project. And oftentimes that's that's enough to just walk away and insurance will sell it for that. And you know, yes, of course your premium will go up, but also it could have been so much worse. Um, so limitation of liability is huge. If you don't have that, write that down, put that in your contract today, cap it at the max project fee. I know some clients push back um, and say, well, uh, you know, you're only gonna pay me X. And what if the claim is so much bigger than that? And then if you have to negotiate it up to insurance limits, uh, but you'd never wanna go without a limitation of liability, at least to insurance limits. Um, so that's, that's kind of like contracts, quick, Summary in a nutshell, right. I could probably yep. talk to you about all kinds of different parts of the contract, but there's some good takeaways here for for Nuggets. Um, all right, insurance. So I've, I've alluded to insurance several times. Uh, the reason you want insurance is so you can sleep at night. You get insurance for the what ifs. You don't really know what's going to happen. You don't know if this client that you're singing Kumbaya with and you guys are best friends and you text each other at late hours just to check in suddenly turns into the client from hell because you're not doing something that they expected you to do Um, so insurance is there to cover you when things go south and an important note about insurance is um, when you get that angry phone call or that angry email or that lawyer letter when you receive information that there may be a claim you do need to forward that or give a call to your insurance carrier and let them know that you're concerned that one of your clients may be suing you. If you don't do that in a timely manner, if you don't do that in say 30 days from when you're put on notice, your insurance company may actually decline to represent you in the claim because you didn't let them know that something was evolving because the insurance company is trying to defend and help you. They want to get you a lawyer. They want to have somebody step in and cut this off at the pass. So do not stick your head in the sand. Do not set all of those nasty letters aside and ignore them. But definitely let your insurance carrier know that you've been put on notice of a claim. It's very important. That's the first step and you don't want to lose out in the representation that you've been paying for in order to have your insurance. So do not yeah. avoid,
0: I can imagine,
1: no, no, lots of people do, but don't avoid.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I can imagine that that is something that's sort of your first instinct is I'm not telling my insurance company because my insurance is going to go up, right. Or, or, you know,
1: your insurance company is there to give you a lawyer to fight this. Exactly. And it off quickly.
0: Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. As architecture demand increases toward pre-pandemic levels and beyond, how are you and your architecture firm keeping up? RCAT is here to help. RCAT.com offers several free tools to help architecture and design firms like yours get work done faster. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right products for your projects and download BIM, CAD, and specifications right there on the same page without needing to pay or register. It's free. RCAT.com also offers product videos, catalogs, green reports, product certification information, outline and short form specification generation, and so much more. Visit RCAT.com today. RCAT.com is your one-stop solution to help increase your productivity and get more projects done faster. That's RCAT.com. ARCAT.com FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team by project, and get organized with financial reports, communication, and notifications. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of the biggest barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects. Who has the time? But if we don't send out the invoices, we don't get paid, right? FreshBooks makes it easy to send out your invoices and get paid fast online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, FreshBooks will send them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the entree Architect community.
1: So yeah, your insurance may go up, but also the risk of Horrible, horrible things happening with the pain because you're avoiding it is way worse. And the
0: sooner they can address it, the sooner it can go away.
1: You got Um, it. And so the first, and I have to say, this is a rite of passage. Okay. Some some folks who have never had a lawyer letter sent to them or been on, on notice that there's litigation, uh, there was a complaint filed, or that you know a whole bunch of folks on this project are all getting sued for poor performance, this is a rite of passage. Congratulations, you've been in business long <laughs> enough. To hit the point where there's a claim and you're involved in it like hey you know you're now in Grad school congratulations you've made it to the big time, this is pretty normal. Um, You know most most architects have 234 of these throughout their career it's not huge unless you're doing malpractice or taking on a lot of condo clients, which is a whole separate session. We could have a discussion about what to do if your clients are condo developers or condo owners, because good good gosh, there's a lot of claims there. But in general, it's not a big thing, but when it happens, just recognize that this is fairly normal and you've made it to the big leagues. And so be prepared to, to call your insurance company and to go back to the contract and see, okay, what did I promise because they're claiming I didn't do something that I'm pretty sure I did do in most cases. Um, And just a note about that, about 90% of all construction claims are based on poor communication. And typically, it's unmet expectations, right? So to the extent that you can communicate well with your client, And set expectations create those guidelines and boundaries, including maybe not texting at 2am. If you can set those expectations and be really clear with your client, then you're going to keep yourself in the clear from them suddenly saying well that's not what I was led to believe was going on, you know you want to be super obvious and this may sound like something that's basic but just as simple as sending an email a week with a project update makes a huge difference for clients even if it's just a monday morning hey just writing to check in and let you know that we're continuing to push the dd on your project and that's all you send oh my goodness, that makes a huge difference for clients feeling like, oh, they're on it, it's under control, and I can write back with questions or whatever. The failure to do that, the 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 fear, once again, sticking your head in the sand or, or being worried, oh, well, I was on vacation last week, and I really need to work on all these things, but I'm not going to send an update until everything's perfect for the client. No, screw that. Just send an update of the current status to let your client know what's going on, because communication is more important than perfection so really do not do not avoid this is your stop avoiding warning you know fire alarm, <laughs> blah, rah, 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 rah. stop avoiding stop everything send a nice little update to whatever client you've been avoiding talking to just to let them know, here's what's going on. And you know what? It's not going to be as bad as you think they'll reply back and you'll get some information and you'll move from there. But the alternative is you ignore the client you avoid. It's been a month. Suddenly the client's like, what's going on with my project? Oh my goodness. My architect. What? So don't go there. Don't create that situation.
0: Yeah. Often the conflict, um, stems from the lack of communication and and not meeting an expectation not necessarily a legal issue right the conflict may not have anything to do with the contract right That's that right. It, that it has to do with a client thinking that something was going to happen and it didn't happen the way they thought it was going to happen and so that communication and that management of expectation which we talked about so many times on this podcast the management of expectation uh, can can help so many of these issues that we're talking about. That if the client knows what's coming and knows what's going to happen, which is why that written contract is so important because then you have a document that you can manage that expectation through. Say, yep. right from the beginning, this is what you should expect from me. And then create those systems of constantly communicating with your client so they're always knowing that they, well, at least thinking that they know what's happening and how it's going to happen.
1: Um, That's great. So let's say that you've, Looked yeah. at your contract, contacted your insurance company, you definitely have a situation where you think the client's going to fire you if they yeah. haven't already like said out, right, I'm going to fire you. The next step in the process is you need to send them an invoice, right? Generally, in your contract, you're going to have terms that say that you're allowed to bill for everything up until up until the contract is terminated. So if it's been a month since you build the client and you've been working away and you've got maybe 80 hours that you need to invoice, get that invoice out sooner rather than later. There may be lawyers getting involved. There may even be an outstanding sum. This might turn out to be a client who hasn't really been paying their bills timely. There could be three or four months of outstanding balances get out that final invoice with all of the costs on it to make it very clear that if this does turn into an actual financial claim we can understand the amount of money at stake that hasn't been paid yet Um, and certainly depending on your practice area this could be tens of thousands of dollars at stake that you want to be super clear this is the amount that needs to be paid as part of termination if you're really terminating the contract and getting rid of me and hiring another architect Um, so you know make it black and white get the invoice out
0: all right. So so first step, inform your insurance company. Second step, get that invoice out immediately.
1: And you'll want to look at your contract, too, somewhere in there to figure out, am I at fault? What did I do? What's going right. on here? Okay. What are the rules of the game, right? If you were about to start a board game, and you've never played it before, you read the instructions so you figure out how to play it. Well, your contract is exactly the same thing. It's the rules of the game. So obviously, it's in your interest to write the rules in your favor as much as you can and get it signed by the other party. So when they're coming at you and saying, oh, well, you promised six months and it's been eight months, you can say, well, it says right here that if the client is not timely with responding to requests, I have more time.
0: Right, Okay. So that's really the first step. If somebody if somebody emails you or calls you and says, "Hey, you haven't done what you're supposed to do, and I'm angry and I'm going to sue you," the first thing is you need to do is you make sure you understand your contract. Go back to your contract, review it, understand it, inform your insurance company, put together that final invoice, send them the final invoice. Then what do yep. we do after that?
1: Uh, then, depending on how things are going, you may decide to quit the project or they may terminate you, yeah. or you may be able to negotiate and get things back together, right? So those are kind of the three big things. You quit, they quit, you figure it out, you find a path forward. Um, I would probably say that for most clients, by the time they're getting lawyers involved and sending nasty legal letters and threatening to, to fire you, The best thing you can do is get out um there's it's very difficult to mend bridges and try to continue working with a client who gets that adversarial so at that point the communication is broken down so much a divorce is probably recommended um obviously you want to avoid getting to that point. So if you're seeing some warning shots, like it seems like your client's getting a little disgruntled, that's probably a good time to schedule an in-person or Zoom meeting to really talk things through and make sure that you can mend fences before you get to the point where they're threatening to fire you. Because at that point, they've already clicked in their brain, I want another architect. And so trying to salvage it when it gets to really nasty it's, it's incredibly difficult and you may not even want to work with them if you can salvage it because the relationship is going to be strained for the duration of the project after that. So ideally, if you see warnings from your client that they're starting to get upset or feeling like you're not delivering or you know their expectations are not met. Push everything aside focus on that client set up the meeting have the discussion talk about the hard things so you can save that project because you know this could be tens of thousands of dollars at stake that you worked really hard to, to continue and to produce and hopefully see a product at the end of it that, that has your name on it um, so it, it is really important to do this sort of um client client handling um, so so let's just say you can't save it right either yeah. you're going to quit or they're going to fire you you know, six in one, half dozen in the other. Either way, you would look to the contract to see what the provision says about termination. Hopefully it says you get paid up until the actual date of termination so that your invoice covers all of your time for that. Uh, But more important, if it says something like um, 30 days notice in order to terminate, well then you, if you've decided to get out, you need to do an email, a text message, something in writing to your client that says, "Please consider this my 30 days' notice that I am terminating the contract under the terms of the contract," or something like that, just to let the client know, "Hey, I'm out. <laughs> this is your 30 days' notice. I'll start getting all your documents together. Um, I will give you, you know, the." Everything I have up until this point for your own personal use if another architect wants to use it, we can have a podcast about that separately, but. This is the product that you paid for, and this is the invoice for how much time i've spent and i'm closing out this project be very clear with your client that you are terminating the contract. Or the opposite happens they send you a nasty email and say i'm all done with you, I want to be out and so you look to the contract and make sure that they've met the criteria if there was a 30-day notice for them to get out you respond back and say okay i accept this is your 30-day notice and we agree that we're terminating the contract i'll send you an invoice shortly you just want to communicate that that you are a professional and that this is not necessarily personal oftentimes this is just a business fallout business divorces happen all the time Um, So you just kind of say, okay, I recognize that you want out and I will send you an invoice shortly. And in 30 days from today, if it's September 1st and on October 1st, we're done with the project together and good luck. So keep it professional.
0: Should, should Uh, Should that letter of termination be prepared with an attorney or is that something that we can do on our own?
1: Oh, gosh, you know. If you're an experienced professional and you've been communicating with clients for quite some time, you may feel comfortable doing this without an attorney. If this is your first time dealing with this and you're freaked out and you don't know if you're saying it right or doing it right, I do recommend talking to an attorney. I think that there are an awful lot of attorneys out there who kind of expect this sort of thing to always happen with an attorney. That's unrealistic. Uh, But in the same hand, if you're worried or nervous or, or concerned, absolutely call an attorney to help you just Draft and submit something that meets the criteria that's been laid out in the contract if you've been in business for quite some time. You may feel comfortable doing this yourself um, i'm not going to say you have to hire an attorney, but if you feel like you need an attorney get an attorney you No, know, it'll it's it's cheap money for an attorney that could save you a lot of money in the long term, just because um, having an attorney can help you get that last invoice right so an attorney is going to maybe charge you. Mm, less than $5,000 for this portion of the game. Um, But if you have like tens of thousands of dollars of invoices out there, it's well worth having an attorney make sure you get paid. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've also found in my situation, which always, uh, I've had two situations. They were both cleared up very, very quickly. Um, And most of it was because I did have the agreement, but then I also had a really good attorney um, who was good at sort of the the conversation, right? They didn't we didn't have to go to a legal action. We just had some proper letters written and proper telephone calls and and the emotion and the stress that comes along with all this, if it, especially if it's the first time, it's not something we should ignore. And that attorney often will help you through that, right? Because you feel okay, this person knows what they're doing. They're gonna guide us through this process and so the emotional part of it and the stressful part of it is reduced. It doesn't go away, obviously, but it certainly is, is a big piece of uh, of what you would pay for when you hire an attorney.
1: Absolutely. But once again, I'm not pitching you yep. a lawyer for everything. But yep. gosh, if if you're losing sleep over this, you probably need to bring in somebody who's done this before.
0: Yeah. Okay. Is there is there anything after that? So we send that letter of termination.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, So obviously you want to get paid right I'm going to keep harping on that because architects leave money on the table all the time, and I don't know why that is engineers don't really do that and they end up with the same situations, but the engineers really push 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 push. and. You are entitled to be paid the amount that you have worked for. Do not discount your last invoice. Do not feel like you need to slash some of your hours. You are entitled for every hour you've worked for. It's under the contract, and you need to keep submitting that invoice and keep pushing to get paid until you get paid. This is a big deal. Um, Oftentimes that means you may need to file an action in small claims once again many people self-represent in small claims if you're not comfortable with that you can find an attorney to file a small claim for you you could go either way with that but please make sure you get paid and i'm going to harp on this a little bit because i think it actually speaks to the entire profession i think that architects in general undervalue their work and don't go after that final payment and clients have kind of learned that especially clients who've worked with more than one architect and so it becomes sort of an industry thing where like the architect will just leave that final invoice unpaid and move on without it don't do that don't create that reputation for the industry that's really frustrating and disappointing to to see that that's kind of the norm
0: so so in order to get that payment is that just we just follow up with more invoices send collection letters what do, how do we get paid
1: yes so you've got your initial final invoice that you're submitting as part of termination, whether you're terminating or they're terminating, right? Then you'll do a 30-day follow-up with another invoice saying it's been 30 days, you know, now it's becoming past due. You may do another invoice with a lawyer letter saying, this work was performed under this contract, pay now or else there'll be action, right? You can also kind of draft that sort of letter without a lawyer if you're comfortable doing that, but you wanna let the, know, the client know that you're serious I did the work. We've done everything we needed to do to terminate the contract and pay me. Um, and then obviously, if they still haven't paid you, then we're getting into it's time to file a small claim, unless right. they owe you an awful lot of money, in which case it may be a superior court claim. But either way, it's a claim for non-payment, um, And that that does need to get filed as a next step. Um, often, Oftentimes, clients will actually test you to see how serious you are. They may ignore and ignore and ignore. And you Mm -hmm. actually need to involve a lawyer to get a response from the client, unfortunately. Um, But, you know, we're talking about money that is due and owing to you. So it's worth going after. I know you may be really busy on lots of other projects, but this is your reputation and the industry's reputation on the line. So don't leave it on the table. I mean, obviously, this is a business decision as well, right? If the outstanding sum is something silly like $1,500, and it's going to cost you more than that to go after it, you may decide to write it off. I'm talking about a pretty significant sum that's worth going after, right? So there's a difference. You may make a business decision not to go after a small sum that's not worth your time or paying an attorney to do. Um, But nonetheless, you want to keep push, push, pushing to get paid. And if, if you can't get paid from this client who's either terminated or you terminated with them, you will need to go to court to get paid. Your contract should be bulletproof at this point. There shouldn't be any loopholes saying, oh, I don't need to pay the attorney if I, I'm sorry, I don't need to pay the architect if I fire them. It's never gonna say that in your contract. Those are not the rules of the game. So when the judge looks at the contract, they'll say, hey, architect, did you do the work? Hey, owner, did the architect perform that work? You both say yes. And then the the owner says, oh yes, but then they they quit. And the judge is gonna say, yeah, but they performed the work, right? Okay, owner, pay that architect. And, right. and that's really how it goes pretty much in, in these claims because the contract is there to back you up. And it says, if I perform the work and I invoice, you pay me for it. Right. I mean, yes, it takes time, right? You may to, need to hire a lawyer. You may need to take some time off of work to go to court, but you also will get paid uh, with small exceptions. You know, if suddenly the owner is going bankrupt, it gets really messy, but generally you will get paid and you need to push back and get paid.
0: So it, it all begins at where we started all right? With, with a contract and the insurance because everything that you talked about, uh, Rebecca, is that we need to go back to the contract, go back to the contract, go mm-hmm. back to the contract. If you don't have a contract, then you don't have anything to go back to. You're going to be in a really difficult position. Um, and so it starts with a contract. Make sure you have a good contract. Make sure you have insurance um, and then go through these, these steps that we're talking about today is there anything, any other advice, any other steps that we should be talking about before we wrap things up?
1: We haven't said it explicitly, so I'm gonna say it explicitly. Yep. Make sure the contract is signed by both parties, mm-hmm. okay? Having a contract and submitting the contract via email to the client as part of your initial intake is all well and good. Do not move forward with performing work until you have that signed contract. I know lots of firms will practice for a month or two waiting for the signed contract to come back. Don't do it, you will get too busy, you will forget. Simply respond via email to the client who says, oh yeah, can you come out and do some measurements so we can get going with this? You can say, yeah, as soon as you get me that signed contract, put it back on them. Do not start with work until it is signed. It is so important because you can't actually stand in front of the judge and say, this is the contract. Unless the owners actually signed the contract and agreed to the terms so super important do not pass go do not continue with the project until that contract is signed, even though it sounds like the best project in the world, and you can't wait to get going and start invoicing. (sighs) Sign contract, Um, I think the last piece once you've been through this sort of horrible situation with a crappy client that didn't work out for whatever reason is to do that post-mortem the lessons learned to then take that piece that you've figured out that's really important for your own practice the way that you work and integrate that back into your firm contract so you're ready again For the next client who tries to push that little button and you've got a clause in your contract that protects you so that that won't be an issue in the future, and it is rather nuanced. Um, Once again, AIA does a good job of covering generally blanket a lot of the issues that we've seen in the industry over the years, but it does sometimes help to have nuances that are specific to your firm Um, so, for example, I have. a residential architect that I've done some contract updates for over the years. I've been working with him for about 15 years. Um, And we have really zeroed in his residential client contract to exclude all kinds of things that you may not think about initially like asbestos and any hot material or lead that might be in the house he's not responsible for that it's not his responsibility to find out about it he's had issues with clients saying well my architect never told me that there was lead on the windowsills well since when is it the architect's (laughs) responsibility so he's really clear in his contract it's not my thing and we may in historic property need to have someone come out and test it's not me so creating those exclusions based on scenarios that have actually happened is, is helpful for the long term for your practice, just to be sure that that doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah, we have we have templates at the Entree Architect Academy, the membership uh, for basic small firm architect owner architect agreement that started as my agreement that I used for my own firm. Uh, and then we put together a course that basically just describes how that document's put together, and then we provide the, the templates with the instruction to take those uh, templates to your insurance company, to your attorney, and customize them for your architecture firm. And so they have a lot of the, 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 um, the, the clauses, a lot of the sections that we're talking about here today. Mm-hmm. And so that's, a, that's another way that, that small firms could uh, could start, take that document, then sort of customize it and craft it for your architecture firm. Um, and so so the steps, just to review before we wrap up. So make sure you have contract, make sure you have insurance, um, mm-hmm. you have a problem, you get that letter, you get that email, make sure you check the, the contract, make sure you go through the contract, you understand it, read the whole thing. Um, Inform your insurance company, send out that invoice, right? Make sure it's a final invoice that has everything that you need to get paid for, everything that the contract says you you are owed. Um, then you're going to go into that, You know, they're either gonna fire you, they're either gonna quit or you're going to quit or you're going to, quit, you're going to resolve this because you potentially could resolve it uh, with some conversations. We talked a lot about expectations management and communications, that's how you not get to this point right make sure you're constantly managing your expectations constantly communicating so you don't get that if you do get the sense that there's somebody that's unhappy fix the problem immediately don't ignore it because then you will end up in this this process Um, so but if you do end up getting fired or you decide you're going to quit send that termination letter either with an attorney or put it put it together on your own and then don't let the last payment go away get that payment get paid do what you need to do over and over and over again, get paid, uh, and then do that post-mortem. Go through the process, work through your account, your contract, see what you can do to tighten it up to make it a little bit stronger to make sure if this ever happens again, you're covered and it'll, it'll be a little bit easier process. Is that everything?
1: I think you've covered it beautifully, Mark. That's right. pretty much the bullet list
0: all right so before we wrap up i want to uh ask you the one thing that we ask everybody here at entree architect podcast what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow
1: oh now you're talking to the politician that's okay the most important thing any architect can do is building their network in their own community um, so right. getting involved in your community is, is in my opinion, whatever that involvement looks like, it could be being on the PTA, um, it could be being involved in your church, it could be running for politics, no, run for school board, run for selectmen, uh, get involved, because in any community, let's just say the population of your town is 40,000 people, there's really only about 100 people who are actually making the big decisions and the movers and the shakers that are changing things in your community. So to the extent that you can be seen as one of those 100 people, that means you're at the top of the pyramid, you're networked, you're connected, you're dialed in, and other people will look to you and refer people to you for clients. So that's my recommendation. Get involved in your community, whatever that looks like, become known and recognized for what you do, and then you'll start naturally getting word of mouth referrals.
0: Rebecca McWilliams is her name? You can check out her architecture firm at independentdesign.com. Check out policyholderpros.com, policyholderpros.com. That's where you can learn about all the uh, legal uh, services they provide. Uh, We'll have links to both of those websites on the show notes. Rebecca, thank you. This has been a super interesting conversation. I suspect that we'll probably do this again with some other legal topics because there's so many different ways we could have taken this. I wanted to address this one specific issue, but I'm sure there's lots that we can talk about. So I'd love to have you come back. But thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Mark, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me and I look forward to a follow-up.
0: If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how Entree Architect podcast will grow to serve thousands more architects just like you. Thanks to our sponsors, FreshBooks and RCAT for their support of this episode. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at EntreeArchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources. Live monthly business training for architects. A supportive architect community. And Simple Systems, our business system program developed for you the small firm architect. It's all waiting for you at Entre Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends at entrearchitect.com join. Enroll today at entrearchitect.com join. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know.